Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through watching historical Chinese TV dramas. This is Karen. And this is Kathy. Today, we are going to be discussing episode 28 of Hougong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. As always, if you are new to this podcast, we recommend watching the intro to the drama episode to understand what this drama is about and how we are going to structure our episodes. Uh, if you want to follow along to understand exactly what's going on, this drama is currently on YouTube. This podcast episode will be a little bit different as we will do all of the analysis during the plot summary. Well, let's get started. One evening, Huang Shang, the emperor, comes to visit Huafei to share the news that her brother and nephew have helped win important battles on the front lines. He is extremely pleased and, as a reward, her brother, Niang Gongyao, and her family will be promoted with extravagant titles. He even says that she, Huafei, has been a fei or consort for a couple of years, and it's time to promote her to a higher rank. This also is extremely generous of him. She, of course, is very pleased with this information. The next day, all of the ladies are at the Empress Huang Ho's palace for the customary greeting. The ladies curtsy to the Empress Huang Ho, but then also curtsy to Hua Fei. Hua Fei is surprised, and the ladies explain to her that it is to congratulate her on her pending promotion. Of course, it wouldn't be a fun court greeting if there wasn't some type of verbal spat. So let's, let's get to it. Huafei asks Huang Ho what type of promotion she thinks she'll receive. Huang Ho responds that above a fei or a consort is gui fei or noble consort. Above that is huang gui fei or imperial noble consort. And that's it. Huafei says, uh, no, above the imperial noble consort is Huang Ho, the empress. The empress is, of course, like, oh, so you're interested in my throne? Huafei says that, well, I've just heard that the imperial noble consort, or Huang Guifei, is essentially equivalent to a vice empress. Kind of like a vice president, if you think about it. It's, okay, who is going to support the empress in handling the matters of the imperial harem? Huafei then recounts how earlier in the Qing dynasty, there was an imperial noble consort who was so favored by the emperor at the time that the empress basically had no power or position. Essentially, the imperial noble consort usurped the love, attention, and position of the empress. Clearly, right here, Huafei is trying to parallel the situation and suggest to the current empress or Huang Ho, that uh, maybe she should be worried. Huafei is gunning for that throne. If not the throne, at least the attention and power of, what it, uh, of the position of Huang Ho. Let's discuss this anecdote a little bit, as it's quite important for the rest of the episode and an interesting story overall. Who exactly is uh, Huafei referencing? 
This is actually a tragic love story that is famous, and there have been many TV dramas made about this story. One of my favorites is called Xiao Zhuang Mi Shi or Xiao Zhuang Epic. This story is about Empress Xiao Zhuang, and she is very well known in the Qing Dynasty history. Another drama to watch is called Shao Nian Tianzi, or The Young Emperor, which describes this love triangle or this story that I'm about to describe even more beautifully. Both of these dramas, Xiao Zhuang Mi Shi and Shao Nian Tianzi, are older dramas that came out in 2003, but are quite classic. We were actually thinking about uh, whether or not it might be good to discuss the events of uh, the Epic of Xiao Zhuang as a drama for this podcast because it is full of history and just very good overall. I will just say I loved watching the Epic of Xiao Zhuang as a kid. I was literally obsessed with that show. Um, oh my god. I also think I've rewatched that show like so many times. Um, it's a classic. It's great. I don't think there are subtitles, but if you can get your hands on it, I think it's on YouTube. You should definitely watch it. Let's set the stage. The three characters are one, Emperor Shunzhi, two, his favorite concubine Dong Efei, or consort Dong, and three, the Empress Bo Jizite. The Emperor Shunzhi is the first Qing Dynasty emperor who ruled from Beijing as its capital. There was a ton of drama surrounding his upbringing, which was also the subject of many uh, TV shows and the subject of the Epic of Xiao Zhuang. But Shunzhi came to the throne at a very young age, at age six. He was essentially a puppet under his regent, which then the emperor, the young emperor, fought very hard to get rid of. He, as the emperor, obviously then had an arranged marriage with Bo Jizite. They were married very young, I would say in their mid-teens, and this was very much a political marriage. Things were fine between the two, as arranged marriages can be, I would assume. This woman gets promoted to the empress position, as she also comes from a very powerful family. So the emperor's family needed to, uh, I guess, consolidate or strengthen ties between the various Manchurian and Mongolian clans. And this marriage helped with that. But not too long after the promotion, Dong Lefei comes into the picture and is selected to be a concubine for uh, the emperor. At this point, these players are still in their mid to late teens. The emperor, Shunzhi, falls head over heels in love with Dong Efei. It's documented that she's really sweet and kind, and in the dramas that you see, she is always portrayed at this, as this beautiful young woman who is very poised and intelligent. Given a lot of the drama that the emperor suffered growing up and being from an imperial family, he probably appreciated this kind-hearted and understanding woman. In any case, Shunzhi, the emperor, quickly promotes this woman through the ranks to become the imperial noble consort, or Huang Guifei. She was the Qing dynasty's first imperial noble consort, and as we mentioned earlier, is essentially a vice uh, empress. Emperor Shunzhi really, really loved this woman, this Dong Efei, so much so that he was even willing to get rid of the existing empress to make her the empress instead. But ultimately, that didn't happen. 
The two lived in bliss for several years, and Dong Efei even birthed a child, the fourth prince of the emperor. The emperor was so ecstatic that he wanted to make the newborn the heir apparent immediately. Generally, this doesn't happen, and it didn't go too well over with the courts, but that didn't really matter. The child, the fourth prince, only lived for a couple of months before passing away. This was a huge blow to Dong Lofei, who, in her despair, also passed away not too long after. She died when she was only 21. The emperor, Shun Zhi, could not handle the death of his beloved concubine. He, too, fell into heavy depression and died not too long after. He was only 24 when he died. There is a lot of mystery surrounding his death. In some books, they say he didn't actually die, but went on to become a monk and lived the remainder of his life in a monastery. But essentially, he died at around 24 due to illness. Regardless of what happened, though, it is clear that he dearly loved Dong Lofei. What I've described is definitely an oversimplification of the drama that happened. The key points to remember are that the emperor loved this concubine and even wanted her to supplant the existing empress. Indeed, after her death, this concubine, Dong Lofei, was memorialized as an empress, though she never was one in life. Back to our current drama. You can see why this story is actually a threat to the current empress. Huafei is goading Huang Hou by saying, look, you know, I might be as powerful as this Dong Lofei. The emperor may love me as much and your power as the empress may be uh, dwindling. The current empress Huang Hou retorts with a long explanation that even if the position of the imperial noble consort uh, is that of a vice empress, so to say, she will never be the formal empress. As I mentioned earlier, this concubine never was an empress in life, and no matter what, she will never supplant the formal empress. Hopefully that long-winded story makes sense. Any questions, Kathy? <laughs> There's a lot to the story, so Karen just gave a, a pretty brief summary Again, if you're interested in learning a lot or a bit more about it, um, we recommend watching those two dramas if you have some if you want something to do. Well, it's clear though that Huafei and her family don't really know how to balance all of this power. And they definitely have started to let their arrogance get to their head. This is clearly exhibited in this next example. Late one evening, the concubines in the palace are told that the empress is suffering from terrible migraines. The concubines must come help tend to her illness. Jin Huan, along with a few others, head over to the empress's palace. Once there, they see the empress in a lot of pain, but there are no imperial doctors in sight. It turns out, Nian Gong Yao, Huafei's brother and mighty general, has asked for the doctors to come see his wife, who was ill. The doctors have not yet returned to the palace. Thus, there is a shortage of doctors that could attend to the empress. When asked if anyone told the emperor of the empress's condition, the empress's maid said that the emperor is currently with Huafei and the empress didn't want to bother them. In the end, the empress spent a restless night without doctors because Nian Gong Yao needed them. We've recently been focusing on different concubines for the different episodes. This episode is no different. Our focus this time, though, is going to be Qi Fei, 
She is the mother of the third prince. She's a little bit older, um, and she has the rank of a consort. In this episode, she constantly affirms her low IQ and EQ throughout the episode. The first example happens here. Tifei's fussing about and orders the servants to go wake up the emperor. This is a big deal. The empress is not feeling well. How can there be no imperial doctors on hand? The empress, hearing this, immediately commands her servants to not alarm the emperor. Oh, it's not worth it. This is normal. I mean, I don't want to worry his majesty. Everybody else, look at Jin Huan. They know to keep their mouths shut. But Tifei is just like fussing about like, oh my God, this is not okay. Literally, can she not tell? Something is up. (laughs) I feel like at this point, the Empress is like, can you just shut up, please? (laughs) Well, the next morning, Huafei hears the news and quickly tells her servants to tell her brother to send the doctors back as she prepares breakfast for the emperor. Well, she's not making the breakfast. She's telling her servants how to uh, plate the food. The thing is, you see that even though Huafei cares a lot about power and money, she really does love Huangsheng. She notices what he eats and where to place the food because it seems like he didn't like a certain dish. She pays a lot of attention to what he likes and dislikes and even prepares his favorite tea every night, even though he may not visit her. She just doesn't know how to love in a nicer way and also has a tendency to A, be corrupt and also uh, murder people for no reason. While she's preparing breakfast, servants stop by with new clothes for her upcoming promotion. However, the clothes that are presented are for the imperial noble consort, so two steps up and the equivalent of the vice uh, empress we were just talking about, not the noble consort, which is technically just one step up. Wafe, seeing this, is extremely pleased because it feels like that it means the emperor wants to promote her to the vice empress and who wouldn't want that? The emperor who has woken up by now sees this in the background and is most definitely not pleased. I do wonder though, who sent those clothes? Was it the emperor who sent those clothes as a test or was it someone else? I will note that also people have, you know, folks have uh, commented that the emperor doesn't see all the effort that Wafe puts into him for the breakfast, but does see this side of her where she's focused on power and, uh, and fame. At court later that morning, many court officials report the audacity and arrogance of Nian Gong Yao, so Huafei's brother, for being so rude and ignoring court etiquette and rules such that the empress did not have doctors last night to tend to her when she needed it. Like, that is unacceptable. Nian Gong Yao is being pummeled by these reports and criticisms from all sides. Everyone is looking for punishment by the emperor. But the emperor doesn't get too mad. He instead actually commends Nian Gong Yao for being so thoughtful of his wife's illness. That's perplexing, isn't it? Later that day, Jin Huan is able to speak to her childhood friend, the imperial doctor, Wen Shuchu, to get a better understanding of what the protocol is in the imperial harem for seeing doctors. 
It turns out that even if there are not enough doctors in the palace at night, it is still possible to request doctors to come into the palace. Though that process will be a little bit cumbersome and it will alert everyone in the palace. Still, it can be done. Junhuan's maid says maybe the empress just didn't want to bother everyone with her illness, which is why she didn't call for the doctors. But Junhuan makes a good point. She says if the empress really didn't want to bother anyone, why did she tell all the concubines to come tend to her? That's literally begging for everyone to be talking about this and cause further drama. I mean, also, how else would the members of the imperial court find out about this? Chen Huan is guessing that this was an act, and this was all on purpose. After watching this, I am wondering if Huang Ke even actually had migraines to begin with, or if all of this was an act or a show. She found out that the doctors were being told to tend to Niang Geng Yao's wife and decided to take that day uh, and fake all of this in order to incite anger at Niang Geng Yao and Hua Fei for their arrogance. That's just my hypothesis. We don't know. Huang Ke is a master manipulator and uh, can definitely act through anything. Later on, though, Jin Huan is enjoying some quiet one-on-one -on -one time with the emperor in his study. He asks her what she's reading, and she says she's reading a story from the spring and autumn period. She thinks the story is very relevant to the politics of today, so let's dive a little bit deeper into this tale, as it's uh, quite interesting and long. The story of Zheng Bo Ke Duan Yu Yan, which translates to Duke Zhuang of Zheng, defeats his brother Duan at Yan, <laughs> comes from Zuo Zhuan, or the commentary of Zuo. <laughs> That's six characters in Chinese, but man, it's, uh, it's a lot to translate. So the commentary of Zuo originates from the spring and autumn period, published in the 4th century BC. Um, this book is a historical chronicle of the spring and autumn period, from 722 BC to 468 BC. It is considered one of the classics in Chinese culture and a primary work for later generations to learn Chinese history. This book recounts battles, assassinations, royal intrigue, amongst many other stories. As such, it was not particularly suitable for women to read. This again highlights Jin Huan's uniqueness. Um, so she is able to just read it and knows the stories. I tried reading the story. It's surprisingly short, but so dense. This was apparently the style back then. I was kind of reading through the notations. There are over 70 annotations for this barely 700 character story. Random people pop up. People have different names. So it's kind of hard to follow. Um, I had to like read through it thoroughly a few times with the annotations and read the basic <laughs> translations to figure it out. The story goes like this. When the Duke Zhuang of Zheng was born, his mother had a difficult birth with him, so the Duke was not favored. So much so that even his name means difficult birth. Instead, his mother favored his younger brother, Duan. As such, his mother continuously plotted for her younger son, Duan, to seize the throne over this older brother. 
Nevertheless, the duke ascended the dukedom after the death of his father. So this is a little bit different because at that time, it's whoever was the oldest would inherit the position or the title. Whereas in the Qing dynasty, it's different. In the current dynasty of the drama, it's um, the difference is li xian bu li zhang means you uh, pass the title on to the people who are the most talented or the most qualified, not just by birth order. Well... The duke ascended the throne, right? But his mother requested a fiefdom for Duan, the younger brother, to which the duke reluctantly agreed at first. All of his courtiers were skeptical of this request, but the duke waves away their concerns. The duke, in a pretty shrewd choice, decides to indulge his younger brother with his heart's desire. After arriving at his fiefdom, Duan immediately began stockpiling weapons and fortifying his fortress. News of this reached the duke and his courtiers. They all begged him to take precautions and actions against Duan. The duke does not, stating that there's no proof of a planned rebellion. He then says this famous phrase, This translates to, He who is unjust is doomed to destruction. I honestly did not know that this phrase came from this particular story and had its roots back to the fourth century because this phrase is very, uh, is still used on a day to day basis in Chinese language and it pops up all the time in various dramas. The full phrase is Again, he who is unjust is doomed to destruction. Just wait and see. Now back to the story. After a short while, the duke is called away for business to another state. Seizing this opportunity, his mother quickly dispatches a message to Duan, ordering him to invade the capital city of Zheng. She'll open the gates for him and act as his agent. Duan successfully invades the city, but the duke was prepared for him. He orders his courtier to attack the city with 200 carriages. The people of the capital city also revolt against Duan. With nowhere to go, Duan retreats to the city of Yan. The duke has a final confrontation with his brother, Duan, at the city of Yan. Defeated and humiliated, Duan flees to the nearby state of Gong. Hence, why in history, he's actually called Gong Shu Duan. I'll quickly gloss over the rest of the story. The duke banishes his mother and declares he'll see her in the next world. After a while, he regrets this declaration. He orders a tunnel to be dug so he can see her, and they mend their relationship. This part to me is a bit wild. <laughs> what? <laughs> they dig a tunnel so they can see each other? Okay. <laughs> well, okay, so basically he declares that, like, he'll never, he'll see her on the road to, like, the next, like, to the next world, right? To Huang Chen, like, to, yeah. Well, basically he's like, I-, I won't see you in this world. So, like, they're like, oh, what's the loophole? Underground. So I'm going to dig a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Well, the main lesson from this long-winded story, so in this episode we've had two very long-winded stories, is that Jen Quan is pointing out here that uh, the duke, the older brother, just let his younger brother and his mother continue on with their screen schemes and indulge them in order to lure them into a false sense of security. The duke, however, was always aware of their plots. 
He indulged his brother until everything erupted and it was easy to destroy them in one fell swoop. If his brother, Duan, and his mother were content with their lives, nothing would have ever happened. But they weren't and plotted this rebellion. Which is why, back to Jin Huan, both she and the emperor write the same phrase, Again, he who is unjust is doomed to destruction. Just wait and see. The emperor in our current drama is very much in tune with uh, affairs and in the imperial court and of the arrogance of Nian Gong Yao. However, the emperor won't act yet because it is not the right time. He still needs to use Nian Gong Yao for fighting wars and uh, winning battles. Nian Gong Yao has also not yet made, shall we say, a fatal mistake, so the emperor does not have enough to take him down. In order to do that, the emperor needs to continue to indulge Nian Gong Yao and his arrogance. Only until then is it possible to remove all of the remaining supporters of Nian Gong Yao. Guafei receives her promotion edict. Contrary to previous signals, however, she only got promoted to Guifei or noble consort, so one step up, not Huang Guifei or the imperial noble consort, which is like what she should have been promoted to anyway. So she was just like really upset and disappointed because of uh, the mistake that the eunuchs made giving her the wrong outfit. And the eunuchs even said, oh, we're so sorry, we made a mistake. Guafei barely waits one second before she starts lashing out at her other servants. Following this promotion or this edict, we have another Qing'an or greeting. This is also another example of highlighting how foolish Tifei is. <laughs> this is number two now. Uh, I would like to qu uh, quickly point out Hua Guifei, as we'll call her now, her coiffure and hair accessories have all been upgraded to reflect her new rank. So have Jin Huan and Jing Fei, who were all recently promoted. Uh, I don't think we mentioned that yet, but their hair has, their, their hairstyles have been upgraded. Even though I really don't like uh, Jin Huan's new hairstyle, it makes, it's not very attractive. The topic of today's court greeting is actually Huang Ho is starting the um, the meeting by looking over how many nights or where Huang Shang, the emperor, has been staying over. Isn't that just, again, really creepy because <laughs> you know where the emperor is spending every single night. But it seems that uh, the emperor is spending most of his nights with Huafei. So the question comes of when are you going to get pregnant? When are you going to add children to um, the imperial family? And Sifei throws herself out there to be chewed out. She's like, oh, even if someone gets pregnant, if it's only a daughter, that doesn't mean much. Hua Guifei immediately retorts, even if someone has a son, if the son is dull, it doesn't even matter because she still won't get the favor of the emperor. Well, as you recall for Tifei, her son, the third prince, is not very well liked because he is not a very bright young lad. Jin Huan makes the mistake of responding to the empress and says, it doesn't matter if her child is a boy or a girl. If the child is a girl, I'd like for her to be as cute and as charming as Cao Guren's daughter. Hua Guifei also seizes the opportunity to deride Tifei even more. 
She says, um, even Wan Pin wants a daughter over your dunce of a son. Qi <laughs> Fei, without even a pause, turns to Jin Huan. She says, um, how is it that you become pregnant, but then immediately Fu Cha Guirin has the miscarriage? Did your child kill her child? The words she used is kusu. Um, I don't think there is like a direct translation, but it's it's a very superstitious phrase and has a very negative connotation. She says, the arrival of your child killed the other child. So this must be a demon child. The Empress quickly stops her from continuing on to make a, a fool of herself. Tifei, as we see here, is a very hot-headed person. She like doesn't think through any of this. She didn't even pause to let these slights pass. She had to get the last word and she made a laughing stock of herself. Um, so that's like example number two of why she is, you know, pretty, pretty dumb. Well, later on, the Empress has Tifei over to have tea together. The Empress chastises Tifei for her behavior. Pay attention here to the masterful performance by Huang Ho, the Empress. She's casting her net and will claim her prize in the next episode. Tifei is just too dumb to realize that she's being played. <laughs> so what happens? The Empress, Huang Ho, first consoles her into saying, Don't worry about Jin Huan's unborn child. Your son is the eldest, and there is no way her child can usurp your child. Tifei seems mollified by this, but then... The Empress throws a wrench into uh, this conversation. She says, well, Jin Kwan is very much in favor right now. She's also from the Han Banners with a similar background to you. You never know. She might be able to rise to the same rank as you soon. Then the Empress brings up the story of Emperor Shun Zhi and his beloved consort Dong Lefei that we discussed earlier. Her punchline, though, is this. Dong Lefei had the fourth prince, and the emperor wanted to make this prince the crown prince or the heir apparent immediately. But Tifei was like, wait, didn't that baby die in infancy? This is then where the empress shows her true colors in a way, but very, um, very sly. She says, I wouldn't want death on anyone, especially a baby. But wouldn't it have been better if he was not born instead of being born for such a short period of time? And Huang Ho is all repentant. She's like, oh, I shouldn't be talking what's about such a sad story. Forgive me. <laughs> she is such a performer. And the wheels begin to turn in Tifei's mind. Huang Ho just inceptioned this idea that maybe this baby shouldn't be born. Chifei obviously cannot have Jin Huan successfully have this baby. So what can she do? The next scene is we see Chifei standing outside in the gardens, contemplating her next step. Our BFF An Lingrong comes to the rescue with a solution. An Lingrong bumps into Chifei, and of course An Lingrong now is completely on Team Huang Ho. Very bad person. An Lingrong bumps into Chifei, who is admiring some Nerium oleander flowers. Just some flowers. Ailing Rong helpfully, quote unquote helpfully, tells Tifei to not stand too close to these flowers as they are poisonous. She then drops this useful bit of information. 
Thankfully, there aren't any of these flowers near Jinhuan's palace because they are very poisonous to her unborn baby. Anirong takes her leave and the wheels start turning a bit more in Tifei's mind. <laughs> Later that day, Anirong comes to visit Jinhuan at her palace because they still think that they're friends. Well, Jinhuan thinks they're friends. They exchange some pleasantries and one of Tifei's maids arrive with a uh, plate of water chestnut pastries for Jinhuan. There are two options right now. An Lirong can either not say anything or warn Jinhuan. For my first viewing, I honestly thought An Lirong wouldn't say anything. So just let Jinhuan eat it and suffer a miscarriage? But she's on Team Huang Ho, or Team Empress. There's a bigger prize the Empress wants, and that will be revealed in the next episode. Anling Rong makes a big show out of it. She, like, picks up the pastry, smells it, and says, Don't eat it! Something's not right! <laughs> she then miraculously deduces that the pastries contain the nerium oleander. She then explains the poisonous properties to Jinhuan. Jinhuan is stunned. Why would Sifei do this to me? Well, Anirong's like, I mean, obviously she's jealous. Your child could usurp her son's position. Jinhuan wants to immediately tell the emperor, but Anirong persuades her with a different option. First, confirm the poison before taking the next step. The episode ends with Tifei still anxiously waiting for the news of Jinhuan's death or miscarriage or whatever negative news from that palace. She does not receive this news. Instead, she is summoned by the Empress for a chat. Again, how dumb can you be? You send a poisonous plate of pastries and don't even conceal the fact that you are the one who sent those pastries. Even if Jinhuan ate it, Everyone can trace this back to you. Your maid sent it. Again, like, everyone can find out. You will be the one punished for it. Do you not think people will realize the miscarriage happened because of you? Like, is she going to eat every single one of those pastries and no one's going to find out? <laughs> what will happen to your son in this case? It's been a while since we've had to deal with someone so idiotic or do something so dumb that, um, <laughs> you know, like... It's no no question. <laughs> it's like so transparent of like who did this. And yes, this is <laughs> in terms of a opponents is like the level one opponent again. It's very um low tier, not as masterful as your uh the Empress. <laughs> yeah, I mean previously Tolgarin or Huafei had to like poison Tolgarin's own daughter and her she even like just knew about it. And Tifei's over here just being like, hi, here's some pastries. <laughs> Hope you have a miscarriage. <laughs> okay, well, clearly, Kathy um, has thoughts about this. So that, that is it for this episode. It was quite uh, a lot of information. This episode was quite packed with uh, anecdotes and stories, which, of course, is what we love talking about and enjoy discussing. Hope you guys are all okay. We understand this is a very stressful time for everyone, but um, you know we will continue to publish and discuss this drama. Have a great rest of your week, and we will see you in the next episode.